Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. Famous preacher named D.L. Moody. He made this statement. He said, I'd rather be able to pray than be a great preacher. Jesus never taught his disciples how to preach, but only how to pray. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, another great preacher of old, in his, in his book, he wrote lectures to my students. He talks about a lot of his preacher boys would walk up to the pulpit with a limp. He said one of the legs of walking up to the podium and the pulpit to preach, one of the legs that we use is the preparation leg. He says the other leg that we use is the prayer leg. He says a lot of guys would walk into the pulpit with a limp because they always came up short when it went to prayer. Can you imagine me beginning to preach anything about prayer would mean that I have to tell you I come up short too. I walked into this pulpit with a limp, recognizing that my prayer life is not where it should be. And I would guess probably you may feel the same way. I'm not sure. So then take that out of my world and just kind of put it in your world for a moment. You know? You can prepare to go to work, but do you pray before you go to work? Are you walking into work with a limp like I do? What about being a mom? Lots of stuff you can learn, lots of stuff you can do. But then that, that prayer leg, do you come up short there? How about being a student? You stay up all night and you study, at least we hope, that you study, not that you stayed up all night. You do a lot of prepping. Maybe it's at sports. Maybe you're running those reps. You're staying after. You're practicing. But do you come up short because your prayer life isn't maybe what it should be? You know, I've said this before, but I say it again. Here's what I've come to determine in my life. I believe prayer is important. I'm just not so sure that I believe it's essential. Because if I look at the reality of my life, there's a whole lot of stuff Steve Brown gets done when he doesn't pray, and I think it's okay. I believe it's important, Jake. I really do. I believe it's important. But I don't know that I believe it's essential. In other words, I don't believe that I can do, I think that I can do life without prayer is what I'm trying to say. Most times, I really, if I'm letting you into the secrets of my heart, if I were to come down here on your level and just to say to you right now, if I'm not careful, I believe I can do this without a whole lot of prayer. I believe I can do ministry without a whole lot of prayer because I've been trained in it. 
I could, I could prepare a sermon. I've been trained. I've spent a lot of years in my life trying to figure out how to do that. So if I'm not careful, I think maybe I can even do, do this without prayer. What's that like for you? What, what area in your life is that like? You know, is there, is there some place in your life that you think you can just do without prayer? Prayer is important, but, but I want us to understand that prayer really is essential. That's the lesson I'm learning. We've been talking about faithfulness, haven't we? Y'all remember last week? Started out talking about faithfulness. We're looking at Daniel and how faithful he was. Last week, we learned a few things about faithfulness. I don't know if you were here for that. We, we learned a few things, but over in Daniel chapter 6, we learned a few things. In verses 1 through 15, we we saw some things. Normally, I have you stand up for this part of the scripture reading, but I want to ask you to remain seated this time, but I want to ask you to do this. I want to ask you to read these words with me, understanding that God is speaking to you. It says, it seemed good to Darius to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom that they would be in charge of the whole kingdom. And over them, these three commissioners, of whom Daniel was one, that these three satraps might be accountable to them, that the king might not suffer loss. Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and the satraps because, why? Because he possessed an extraordinary spirit, and the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. Well, that didn't sound so good. So the commissioners and the satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs. But they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption inasmuch as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. Then these men said, we will not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. Then these commissioners and satraps came by agreement to the king and spoke to him as follows. King Darius lived forever. That's a typical way to speak. All the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the high officials and the governors have consulted together that the king should establish a statute and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days shall be cast into what, church? Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it may not be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which may not be what? Revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document, that is the injunction. And when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered into his house. Now on the roof, in his roof chamber, he had the windows open toward Jerusalem. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before God as he had been doing previously. Then these three men, by agreement, came and found Daniel making petition and supplication before his God. Then they approached and spoke before the king about, about the king's injunction. Did you not sign an injunction that any man who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days is to be cast into the lion's den? The king replied, the statement is true, according to the law of the, of the Medes and the Persians, which may not be revoked. Well, then they answered and spoke before the king. Daniel who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you. Doesn't pay attention to you, O king, or to the injunction which you signed, but keeps, keeps making his petition 
three times a day. Then as soon as the king heard this statement, he was deeply distressed and set his mind on delivering Daniel. And even until sunset, he kept exerting himself to rescue him. Then these three men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, recognize, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or statute which the king establishes may be changed. May God bless the reading of his word. If y'all remember last week, we talked about this. We can be persistently faithful. I'm not going to unpack that, but here Daniel is. He's 85 years of age. He's been through six kings, change of two kingdoms, and here he is still getting after it. Still serving the Lord, just as faithful as the day that he went in. And we talked about that we can be persistently faithful, even into our old age. Then we talked about that we can be professionally faithful. Daniel distinguished himself yet again. We find this in every kingdom and with every king that came along, Daniel is elevated to the top. He's been promoted to the top. He gets lifted up before everybody else because he was faithful in the profession that God asked him to do. We talked about that he had an extraordinary spirit, and that word extraordinary spirit doesn't mean that that it's a spiritual thing necessarily. It was an attitude. That Daniel possessed a very positive, upbeat, encouraging attitude, and we talked about this, that your attitude determines your altitude. So this morning, we're going to look at that third area that I promised you last week that we get to today, and that is simply this, that we can be prayerfully faithful. Verse 10, if you go back there and look, I love this because here's what the the Bible says, right? Now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he got out of town as quick as he could. Is that what it says? No. So when Daniel knew that the, the law of the Medes and Persians that meant nobody could pray to anyone but the king, they would be thrown into the lion's den if they didn't do this. When he knew that that document had been signed, he went into his house, up on the chamber, had his windows open, and continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before God as he had been doing previously. So verse 10 maybe said, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he said, "Uh uh-oh. Is that what happened? No. The law was written, you cannot pray to anyone but the king, but does Daniel stop praying? No, he doesn't. Daniel goes home and he opens the windows facing west toward Jerusalem, and that's important. We'll cover it later. He opens it west toward Jerusalem because that's his hope and anticipation that one day they're going to get out of this captivity and they're going to go back to their homeland. But he gets down on his knees and he prays as it is his custom. He prays three times. And and so somebody might think, man, this guy's like, he's getting in their face. Like he's just kind of rubbing this in. But no, that's not what's happening. Daniel's just being faithful to what he's always done. It says, as he had been doing previously. Daniel isn't doing something new here. He isn't trying to rub this in their face. He's been praying three times a day on his knees with his windows open in the past, and he's just going to continue to do it in the future. And somebody may say, in this politically correct day that we live in, and where we just try not to offend anybody because we're supposed to just be nice and, and, and just kind of neglect the scripture, and somebody could say, well, aren't there other options for Daniel? I mean, couldn't Daniel have said, well, you know, it's just a law for 30 days. 
I mean, one month of me not praying isn't going to hurt. Surely God's okay with that. I mean, maybe if I lay low for 30 days, the law would be over and then I can go back to my praying. Or he could have said, you know what? I won't open my window so that I can be heard. I'll just pray privately. And I'm still praying, but, but I won't do it privately because I just don't need to get in trouble or really offend anybody. But he didn't do that. His custom was to open his windows unashamedly. I mean, I know people who are pray, uh, afraid to pray out loud, much less with their window open. I know people who are ashamed to pray in public, maybe at a meal before, uh, before we eat. But Daniel was an open-windowed kind of believer. His prayer life was open for anybody. He was not ashamed. Let me ask you, how about you? How are you when it comes to being ashamed in prayer? Daniel opens the windows to his house, signifying hope in the Lord and Jerusalem being restored. So three times a day, he's on his knees and he prays. Now, we got to ask this question, why? Why didn't Daniel cave? Because if Daniel would have done this in private instead of how he'd always done it, that would have discredited his testimony. His enemies, those jealous men, would have thought, you see, it worked. It worked. We got him to stop this thing about his God. Too many lives had already been risked for that to happen. You see, here's something that I believe that's, that's here. Listen carefully. Daniel had come to a conclusion. Daniel had made up his mind that it is better to die for a conviction than to live with a compromise. Daniel had decided it's better for me to die for my conviction in my God than it is for anybody to make me compromise what I believe about him. Daniel basically says, I'm not going to stop praying even if you kill me. So we have to ask this question, right? Because this is the question that's been haunting me for the past two weeks. Is your prayer life a matter of life and death to you? I mean, I think the question all of us are like, man, sometimes, man, it kills me to pray. I mean, Daniel was praying so much that he was willing to die for his prayer life. and I, I just don't know, man. That, that's just something that's just messing with me. I can't, can't read this without it bringing conviction on my heart. Daniel believed prayer was essential, not just important. Let me say it differently. Daniel couldn't make it a third of the day without praying. Sometimes we go three days without praying. If you've ever lived in a cold climate, you, you know you got to deal with the winter freeze. And one thing you have to do in a, in a winter climate is you have to keep your engine block warm. You've got to keep it protected from the weather because if you don't, your block's going to crack and then you basically need a new car. How do you do that? Well, you've got to put things around it. You've got to surround that engine block with blankets and, and, and things to keep the wind out. And you use all kinds of creative ways. You put blankets on it. You put heaters near it. There's all kinds of things you do. Because if you don't, you're going to lose what's precious to you. And I'm just trying to say, guys, that we have to do that in our prayer life. The prayer life is what keeps things warm. If we don't keep ourselves protected from, from what the world's offering us, 
we're going to find ourselves in a whole lot of trouble. I found myself this week, just this past week, dealing with this. I was sharing with some guys in my D circle. Man, I was reading about this, and, and I woke up early one morning. Well, we got back from a vacation about 1 and 1.30 in the morning. I knew I needed to get back up at 4.30 the next morning, so I got like three hours of sleep. But by the time you get in bed, maybe two hours of sleep, I was dog-tired. I woke up, and normally my habit is I wake up and I go exercising. I get my juices flowing. I enter into my prayer closet with my Bible, kind of meet with the Lord and do those kind of things. And then I jump out about my day. Well, that morning it was 4.30, and I was walking, and my calendar went off and reminded me I needed to be somewhere. But I need to be there at like 6 o'clock. I was like, oh, no. (laughs) Well, I made the decision that maybe some of you make. I'm just trying to identify with anybody in the room. I said, well, you know what? Uh, Man, during lunchtime, I'll get back to my prayer and my Bible reading. Well, on the way to this one appointment, my calendar reminded me I was also supposed to be in another place. And so I was supposed to be in Austin and Temple kind of at the same time. I'm like, oh, no. It's going to be a long day. So as I'm driving back from Temple, I'm like, well, Lord, when I get back to the office, the first thing I'm going to do is meet with you, and I'm going to get back into prayer and get back into the Word. Well, I got back to the office, and sure enough, there was stuff waiting on me when I got here. So I'm like, okay, Lord, after dinner, I'm going to pray, and I'll get into the Word. Well, then I got home, and of course, that doesn't happen like it was. And so it's 9 o'clock, and I am tired, y'all. Like, I am dog tired. I'm at that slap happy kind of tired. Anybody ever been there? You know what I mean? You just, nothing's making sense. And I go in there, and here's, here's what Steve Brown told himself. I said, Lord, you understand. You understand the kind of day I've had. You know where my heart's at. Lord, I can't even, I can't even, I can't even think, much less pray. If I try to read something, I'm going to fall asleep. But then I remembered Daniel. And so I got out of my bed and held my Bible. I stood up because I knew if I sit down, it's going to be a bad idea. And I'm reading it, and I think I read the same verse 20 times. Y'all ever been there? I was so tired. I was just, it was just discipline at this point. But then I said, man, I need to pray. And I'm telling you, I prayed I don't know how long I prayed. All I know is, is the next thing I know is my alarm clock's waking up. It's 5.30 the next morning. I have no idea how I got in the bed. I have no idea what I did with my Bible. I have no recollection. All I know is the sweetest night's sleep I've probably ever had in a long time. But here's my point. Prayer costs you something. And I think that's the reason most of us don't do it. It was going to cost Daniel his life. Surely it can cost me some sleep. Surely it can cost me something. Think about it like this. What do you normally do when trouble comes? What do you normally do when there's been hurt, when you aren't being treated fairly, when you're pressured to do the wrong thing at work or at school, when you're passed over a raise or a promotion, when you're pressured to measure up and you're, you're pressured to do something against your conscience, or when you're, when you're in a situation with your girlfriend or your boyfriend and you're being pressured to do something you know you shouldn't do, or when you're being 
conformed and pressured to be accepting of lifestyles or to use pronouns that you don't agree with, what do you do? A lot of times we respond with panic. A lot of times we, we get scared and we just cave. We say, look, man, there's just no way out of this. The pressure's too strong. All my friends are, are doing that. I'll be an outcast if I don't. Everybody in my business is doing this. I'll never survive. We won't make it if we won't do this. I mean, there's the law, the Medes and the Persians. They've signed this thing. It's what my workplace says has to be done. It can't be changed, and everybody's behind it, and if I don't do it, I lose my job. I really don't have a choice here if I want to make the team. I have to give in and support this. But Daniel didn't panic. I can also respond with paralysis. You simply freeze. You don't know what to do. The pressures are overwhelming. I mean, if you do this, then this is going to happen. If you do that, then that's going to happen. It's just overwhelming. You don't know what to do, and therefore you are afraid to do anything, so you don't do anything. That's not what Daniel did. I can also respond with pride. This one's tricky because it can look on the outside like bold faith because you say, you know what, I'm not going to yield to you. I can overcome this. You see, the difference, though, between this response and a faith response is when you peel back the layers of this response, what you find is not a humble dependence on God, but really a heart of self-sufficiency. This is more than uh, just I'm better than you or you can't beat me. It's, it's not an attitude that says I'm going to do what God wants me to do and trust him. So let me say that differently. One of the greatest signs that you and I are operating in prayerlessness is pride. One of the ways that I know that I'm being prideful is when I'm prayerless. See, prayerlessness is the indicator light on the dashboard of your heart that tells you pride has set in. Y'all know this. Y'all have got these. Y'all know those little, those little lights on your car dashboard, that little indicator light that tells you your engine is too hot or something's going on, your battery's dead or you're out of gas? Well, let me just go ahead and get it out here. How many of you in the room fill up your car before that light goes on? Anybody in the room? How many of you wait till it goes on? And you know to the, I mean, tenth of a mile how much gas you got. Come on, Emily. I see your hand back there. I've ridden with you. I know. Right. Here's what I've learned. If you wait till you've got one-tenth of a mile of gas, you will learn how to pray. You've never prayed so fervently that you'd find the gas station. How about those indicator lights? How many of you know to take your car to the shop once the light goes on? Anybody in that world? How many of you wait and you hope it goes off? Thank you, brother. I know that feeling. I'm the kind of guy, I'm just going to wait and hope it goes off. I mean, if I stop it, turn it off, it'll come, if it comes back on, maybe we've got a problem. But then I look up on YouTube how to reset it. I just hope nothing's happening. You see, those little indicator lights alert you to problems going on inside of your vehicle. 
right? And if you don't pay attention to them, bad things can happen. And prayerlessness is the indicator light that your heart is running full of pride. Many people think that that prayerlessness is a result of the lack of self-discipline. So they don't pray enough for the same reason they don't work out enough, they don't eat enough vegetables, or they don't get enough fruit. They just think it's a lack of self-discipline. But prayerlessness is really this. Prayerlessness really is you thinking that you can figure it out on your own. Prayerlessness is the pride that says, I don't need God's help. So, that usually doesn't work out well. Daniel in chapter 4, he says, all those who walk in pride, God is able to what? He's humble. See, God is going to put you in a situation that you can't overcome. And some of us are there now. I mean, you come in here overwhelmed by the challenges of parenting. You're utterly defeated in your marriage. You're financially underwater. You're crushed by a relationship that you just can't make work. An issue of your health has come up, the the health of, of a loved one. You're dealing with it. You're scared to death. And at the end of Daniel 4, after God had humbled the king, King Nebuchadnezzar says, all those who walk in pride, God is able to humble. And I'm telling you this morning, if you are prayerless, It could be that God's allowing some things in your life to teach you to pray because the issue is really pride. For you you that know God, his agenda, dare I say God's primary agenda in this season of life, maybe to humble you out of your self-sufficiency. So really then, maybe I could respond with pride, but Daniel didn't respond with pride. Maybe we respond with payback. Maybe we respond with, this is that quid pro quo stuff. Something for something, tit for tat. I'll protect myself by fighting and I'll say, hey, if you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back. You play dirty, I'm going to play dirtier. You see, when Daniel found out about this law, he was kind of one of the people that was in charge. He could have pulled some political maneuver and got them as much trouble as he was fixing to get in. He could have done that. We respond maybe, the way I'll keep you from hurting me is making it clear that if you do, I'm going to hurt you back 10 times worse. But Daniel didn't respond with payback. How did Daniel respond? Daniel responded with prayer. When stuff is going on in your life, this is the thing that we need to understand. It's, it's prayer. We respond with prayer. So I want you to learn just a few things and we'll close. Talk about this prayer. Here's a few things that Daniel teaches me. First of all, the place of prayer. The place of prayer. The Bible says there that he went in as he normally did. He entered his house, and in the roof chamber, he had the windows open toward Jerusalem. Daniel had a place that he went to three times a day. He had a a place that, that he had carved out, a place that was familiar to him, a place that he continued to go to that he knew was his prayer place. I just want to encourage you, I don't know what that is or where that is for you, but I encourage you to find a place that you can pray regularly before your God, that that your children would know, that, that your wife would know, that your husband, that people would know that's where you go to pray. Let me just speak about something here too. Don't make that your car. Because you see, if I'm trying to build intimacy with somebody, Multitasking isn't the way to do it. 
I'm not telling you not to pray when you get in your car. I'm just trying to say find a place that's just between you and God, that special place. Pray in your car too. Pray all the time, but find some place like Daniel did to where you pray. You, you, you pray. Then notice the posture of his praying. It says there that Daniel uh, continued kneeling on his knees three times a day. Now, am I telling you that you have to pray on your knees? No. I'm telling you, sometimes you may want to. But the scriptures also tell us about that, that Jesus often prayed and lifted his hands toward heaven. Sometimes men were standing in the holy place. Sometimes we, we sit. I don't really know, but the posture is going to depend really upon what you're really praying about, I believe. But find some posture that's reverent before God is what I'm trying to tell you. Just find a holy posture, whatever that is. And there's the period of prayer. The Bible says he prayed three times a day. The scripture says in Psalm 55, 17, evening, morning, and at noon, I will complain and moan, and he will hear my voice. I think it's interesting. If you look at the life of Jesus, you're going to see that not only did he get up early in the morning, but he prayed around noon because that's when he was feeding people. And then he, we find him getting away in the evenings. Sometimes he prays all night. Am I trying to tell you that you're, you're wrong if you don't pray three times a day? Nope. I'm just trying to invite you into what God's inviting all of us into. It's an invitation, man. Join me. Join me. What about the persistence in prayer? The Bible says that he prayed as he had been doing previously. Then down in the next verse, it tells us that he kept making his petition in verse 13 three times a day. Notice this is a habit. He regularly was doing this. Regularly praying. He just was persistent. He wouldn't let it go. I just encourage you to start simple. Maybe it's 15 seconds a day is all you've got. I can guarantee you, if you pray 15 seconds a day regularly, it'll move into 15 minutes before long. The persistence is what it takes. Then the purpose. Notice the purpose. The Bible says that he had been praying and giving thanks before God. That word praying is, is a, the general word for just prayer. We could call it supplication, intercession. But notice there was thanksgiving. It's kind of like what we did in the Lord's Prayer. Just different ways to pray, but, but he definitely was giving thanks and he was giving praise and he was making his requests known to God. I don't know what the purpose you have in prayer, but, but maybe you want to split that up. And in the morning, I'm just going to praise him. And at noontime, I'm going to ask him for things. And in the evening time, I'm just going to do something else. I don't know, but, but make sure there's a purpose when you enter into prayer. And really, the biggest purpose of all is really, I'm just telling you, is to develop intimacy with the Father. What about the position of prayer? The Bible tells us that he prayed toward Jerusalem. His windows were open toward Jerusalem. And why is that important? 2 Chronicles 6, 36-39 tells us. The Bible says, When they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin... And you, this is talking about the Lord is the you, and you are angry with them and turn them over to an enemy so that they take them away captive to a land far off. Sound familiar? They're captive. 
And if they take it, they take it to heart in the land where they are taken captive and repent and plead to you in the land of their captivity, saying, we have sinned, we have done wrong and have acted wickedly. And if they return to you with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of captivity where they've been taken captive and pray, pray where? Pray towards Pray towards what, folks? Pray towards the land which you have given to their fathers and the city which you have chosen and toward the house which I have built for your name. Then hear from heaven from your dwelling place their prayer, pleadings, and maintain their cause and forgive your people who sinned against you. You want to know why Daniel is praying toward Jerusalem? Because God said so. Am I telling you, you need to pray toward Jerusalem? No. Am I telling you, you need to center yourself and pray toward Jerusalem and in your prayers and find whichever direction it is and do that? No, here's what I'm telling you. You need to orientate your heart to heaven. That's how you need to position yourself. And I'm going to pray looking to heaven, wherever that's at. Maybe... Psalm 57, we read it last week, would help you. What did Daniel pray? I think Daniel probably prayed maybe this psalm. So similar to the situation he's in. Be gracious to me, God. Be gracious to me, for my soul takes refuge in you. And in the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge until destruction passes by. I will cry to God most high, to God who accomplishes all things for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He rebukes the one who tramples upon me. God will send his favor and his truth. My soul is among lions. I must lie among those who devour, among the sons of mankind whose teeth are spears and arrows and their tongue is a sharp sword. Be exalted above the heavens, God. May your glory be above all the earth. They prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They dug a pit before me. They themselves, though, have fallen into the midst of it. If you read the rest of this chapter, they get thrown into the very same pit that they had prepared for Daniel. My heart is steadfast, God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises. I'm not going to stop praying. Awake, my glory. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the peoples. I will sing your praises to you among the what? The nations. For your goodness is great to the heavens and your truth to the clouds. Be exalted above the heavens, God. May your glory be above all the earth. Beloved, I just need to tell you that we need to be faithful in prayer and respond to all of our life with prayer. I can tell you from experience that there's a peacefulness in your prayer closet that you won't find anywhere else. You won't find this in yoga. You won't find this in a nature walk. You won't find this in a drink after work. Uh, You won't find this in the company of good friends. This is a peace that only comes from being in your prayer room. You see, prayer is an invitation. It's relational. It's where you spend time with the Father. And can I tell you what my friend from a distance, H.B. Charles Jr. says it this way. He says, it only happens after prayer. Whatever it is, it only happens after prayer. See, I've learned that I can do a whole lot after I prayed but I shouldn't be doing anything until I've prayed. 
See, there's an old song that says this, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. You know the rest of it? Somebody say it. Know what sins and griefs we often deal with and that we have to bear, but man, oh, what joy that we often forfeit because what? We don't carry it to God in prayer. I'm just curious today. Do you pray? I have a little app on my phone. I like to have that app because when I go into my closet, I have a literal closet that I go in and pray in. It's backlit so I can pray through my prayer list. Do you want to know that you'll have the courage to be faithful to stand when everybody else around you is not? Do you want to know that you'll have the courage to be faithful to maintain your integrity when the temptation to cheat is overwhelming? You want to know that you'll have the courage to live out your convictions and being faithful when everybody around you is telling you that you're crazy? Do you want to know that you'll be able to maintain your confession of faith in this very hostile environment that is happening in the United States of America? You see, I can predict, I can predict your faithfulness. I can predict my faithfulness because I can depend and predict your faithfulness on how you're being faithful now. Because what you'll do then is determined by what you're doing now. Because faithfulness isn't conjured up in a moment. Faithfulness comes from being consistent in prayer. High school and college students, let me talk to you just for a moment. Do you know for sure that you'll be able to stand for Jesus when everybody in your class mocks you or when you go off to college and that professor makes you think that you're stupid for following this made-up Jesus in his mind? Or that you're going to have the courage to remain sexually pure in a sexually gone-mad kind of world? See, that's not going to be determined by what you think you're going to decide in that moment. But I'm here today to tell you it's going to be decided by what you do the first thing tomorrow morning whether you're going to meet with the Lord. Your faithfulness in those moments doesn't det- isn't determined by, by what's going on in that moment. It's determined by the small, consistent habits of obedience in prayer. We can be persistently, professionally, and prayerfully faithful. You see, faithfulness is not developed in the moment of adversity. It's demonstrated in a moment of adversity. We could also say that salvation is not a reward for faithfulness, but faithfulness is a reward that comes from being saved. All I really said to say is all this is this, faithfulness comes from being faithful in prayer to the one who is faithful. How was he persistently and professionally faithful? How was Daniel so faithful, because he was faithful in prayer to the faithful one. But you know, this really isn't about Daniel. There's a greater Daniel that this is pointing to. Think about it. Who was the one who was persistently faithful from the moment he was born to the day that he died? That's it. Jesus. 
Jesus is the one that Revelation says is going to come riding on a horse, and faithful and true is his name. He was the one who was professionally faithful, and he came and he fulfilled perfectly to the T everything that his father asked him to do. Jesus Christ, he had no sins of omission and no sins of commission. He died faithful, faithful to accomplish the work of his father. Who was the one who was prayerfully faithful? Jesus, over and over and over again, was a prayer man, a man of prayer on this earth. And now today, he constantly intercedes in prayer for us. He's still praying. So as the band comes, and as we prepare our hearts to sing, I wonder today, could I ask you, If being faithful was against the law, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Let's make it personal to today. If this last week government in LaGrange came by and said, you know what, if we found that you spent three times in prayer every day last week, we're going to put you in jail, who'd go? See, I think it's a sad tragedy that we allowed prayer to be taken out of our schools because we weren't willing to go to jail for it. So they took prayer of our schools, and so now we just, we don't know what to do. We don't pray. I don't pray. So let's stand together. Lord, I, I, I'm learning from this. I'm just so thankful that, Lord, you've taught me through Daniel that you're inviting me to pray. And I look to Jesus to help me. Maybe the first prayer you need to pray is one of confessing your sin before the Lord and asking Jesus to come into your life and to save you from your sin. And if you need to do that, we'll be here this morning. Maybe you need to just make a, a fresh commitment, Lord. I'm just going to start with one day, just one moment. I'm going to pray a minute, one day this week, and just start simple. I don't know what it is. But you respond as the Lord leads you.